Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, June 27, 2021, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Who is Jesus? Is he just a man blessed with an extra measure of the Holy Spirit? Reverend David Pelegi tells us that in the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus is revealed as the Holy One of Israel, whose holiness is more contagious than the impure stain of death. Jesus calls us to join the fight of life over death and shares with his followers the authority to confront evil. The first reading is for, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands, of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because our works but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life, to light through the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Gonna read from the book of Psalms, chapter 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I will wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus was in the Galilee and had uh, wrestled with the demon on the eastern side of the lake and then 
took the boat back to some place near Capernaum, where our gospel picks up the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning at the 21st verse. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, or Yair, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded around you here, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She said, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, in Aramaic, Talithach kuam, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And this they were... And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. I'd like to um, begin by um, doing something slightly unusual, and that is uh, dedicating <clears throat> the sermon, even the service, to a very um, dear friend who is not very well. His name is Bob Shelley, or Robert Shelley. And, um, we've known him, our family has known him for 
45 years, maybe closer to 50. And um, he taught me a lot. And um, I'm very, very grateful to him and uh, all that he's done for us as a family. He's a great preacher. He's a phenomenal preacher. So um, I'm taking a huge risk, you know, dedicating a sermon to him because I don't think I can uh, ever come close uh, to delivering a message like he can. He can still do at age, I think he's 93 at the moment. But um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are indeed grateful, Lord, for the word of God, which is here to teach us and instruct us and to lead us into life, to turn us away from death, and the devil, the world, and the flesh. Lord, we pray that uh, as we hear your word, that we will be encouraged and enlightened and convicted. And Lord, we pray that um, you will challenge us as well. We ask that uh, your Holy Spirit will search our hearts. We pray that... um, Your word will not return void. Everyone sitting in this room and this building and those watching online will know the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit this evening. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you will glorify yourself, not just in the sermon, but in the songs that we sing and the liturgy that we read and at the Lord's table. May your glory be evident and manifest in this place. May the Holy One of Israel indeed be holy in our midst this evening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. So we um, have a set of two stories in our gospel reading. These uh, two stories, of course, are very popular, and they're very uh, well-known. But the challenge is, in every generation, how are we going to interpret these stories? And how are we going to read them? In the past, we, and actually in the present, uh, these stories, especially the woman with the issue of blood, a particular story. has always been read in a very um, perhaps cavalier and even anti-Jewish way, anti-biblical way. And uh, you probably heard sermons uh, in which the preacher admits, yes, Jesus was Jewish, but really not very Jewish. He had no time for all those rules and rituals and regulations found in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And it's a good thing that he just brushed them all aside and uh, wanted nothing more to do with them. Because after all, that stuff is only about 
judge, judgment or justice, and Jesus is all about love and compassion. Yes, and that's one way that uh, this story uh, indeed has been preached. Of course, there's a second way which um, weren't women treated terribly and awfully yes, uh, in that time. And of course, Jesus, he comes along and he liberates women. But uh, this critique goes on to say, and this often comes from Christian feminist or, or a feminist reading of the, of the Bible, yes, but Paul reimposed all those old Jewish restrictions uh, and re reoppressed women. Yes, after they were freed by, uh, by Jesus. And finally, there's the, the latest version uh, of all of this, uh, which is making the rounds, and it's very popular in our day and age, and will probably fall out of popularity in, in five years or so when people uh, realize uh, actually how weak it is. And that is, Jesus goes to the other side. Yes, and our teaching and preaching, especially maybe in more liberal churches, you know, they can't find anything. They're having a hard time finding things that are distinctive about Jesus or unique about Jesus. And when they see that uh, some of his ethical teaching has parallels in the Jewish world, um, then they, they shop, people shop around and think, well, what is it about Jesus? Oh, yes, he's inclusive. Yes, Jesus goes over to the other side where the Gentiles are. And he, he crosses boundaries and he crosses borders. And here he is, he's going to meet a woman, a woman, sorry, who's impure. And uh, he, again, he's going to have, uh, you know, no concern about keeping the scripture, keeping God's word. Isn't it, uh, by the way, ironic on one hand, we say Jesus, you know, died for our sins and he was the perfect lamb of God without sin. And yet at the same time, we can preach and teach that uh, he disregarded or intentionally broke uh, God's commandments or the scripture. Uh, doesn't quite make sense. But Jesus is tolerant and he's inclusive and he's welcoming and nobody, you know, despite their their gender or their sexual orientation or their ethnicity or whatever you know their taste in music whatever it is everybody's going to be welcomed okay and this is the the jesus that is oftentimes preached and presented in our church churches and uh some of this even seeps into uh evangelical churches as well I would like to suggest that all of those ways of reading and understanding these stories, yes, are, let's use the 21st century uh, term, yes, they're not very convincing, okay? They're not very convincing. I think instead what we need to do is to find the key to both of these stories, and, the, and in particular the one with the woman that has the issue with blood, we need to find the key from Mark's gospel itself, right? Because obviously Mark has put the two stories together and he's done so, you know, for a reason. And uh, I just like to remind all of us that the gospel of Mark 
starts off with these words, and we've read these probably five or six times uh, throughout the year, but it always, it's always worth repeating them. And here is, here is the, uh, you might say, the opening. It, um, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Okay, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Yes, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Now, what's the first story or the first incident that opens this gospel? Yes, because it's always, it's always your first story in a narrative that's going to set the tone, yes, for the whole narrative. So in Matthew's gospel, the first thing of substance that, that uh, connects us to Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. So we have Jesus the teacher. And in Luke's gospel, we have the sermon in the synagogue, and Jesus proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Yes, beautiful, beautiful passage. And in John's gospel, we have Jesus going to a party and making the party even better, the wedding at Cana, and performing a sign that points to who he is. But how does this gospel open? This gospel opens, you might say, uh, it opens like an action movie. Uh, it says, then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Wonderful. What is he teaching? Well, he's teaching people with authority. Great. We don't get a lot of teaching in Mark. We get some, but we get a lot of, of what follows. Then a man, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed with an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. The first opening incident, yes, the first story is Jesus confronting a demon. And the demon is trying to, uh, by naming Jesus, trying to manipulate or control Jesus. Jesus, of course, quickly takes control of the demonic. And it's, it goes on to say, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread, you know, all throughout the region of the Galilee. And as you continue on in Mark's gospel, we continue to have this emphasis, yes, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the good news of God is that God in Jesus, his son, is now confronting evil, or now uh, confronting the demonic, now confronting, you know, those unseen forces, yes, which keep uh, the human family uh, in slavery. And there's a fight, and there's opposition, and the opposition in the gospel is uh, it's fierce because the opposition is at its first demonic, and then there is there is an evil, there's evil or malicious spirits that somehow blend in a very complex way into yes all kinds of human institutions, and those human institutions 
are opposing, yes, the kingdom. They're opposing the expansion of the kingdom. They're opposing this good news. They're opposing Jesus himself. And so, you know, for it's the religious authorities, yes. <clears throat> and boy, do we not know this in the history of the church, do we not? It's the politicians, uh, the political system, you know, families, and the family system. Yes, the family of Jesus in this gospel thinks he's crazy, and they try to uh, enact or try to carry out an intervention of one kind or another. And, of course, it's the empire itself, Rome, and so on and so forth. So there is a fight. There is opposition. The opposition is unseen. The opposition is unseen, but it oftentimes it, it, will be, it will manifest itself in things that are purely demonic and things that are a lot more subtle. Yes, not just someone, you know, throwing himself around or thrashing in a synagogue or someone living in a tomb. And so I think the best, the better way to read and understand these stories is that we have Jesus of Nazareth proclaiming the kingdom or teaching about the kingdom, yes, illustrating the kingdom with his parables and demonstrating the power of the kingdom, yes, when he's confronting Satan and confronting, you might say, the fruit of Satan, when he's confronting the forces of death. The forces of death and Satan are not, are in a way, distinct, yet they overlap and they bleed into each other, yes, uh, very often. And before we get, certainly before we get to chapter 5, it's very easy, it's not very easy, very often, uh, for example, in, in Mark 3, um, we have again, Whenever evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict order not to say who he was. And then, then later in uh, chapter 3, Jesus says that part of his mission statement, yes, is that he um, comes to, you might say, spoil the strong man. Yes. So... Um, what Jesus is doing is going into the house of the strong one, yes, and taking, yes, what, uh, what, the thief, what the thief has stolen. And then, in course, chapter 4, we have this story of the boat, Jesus with the disciples. The disciples are fearful, fearful. They think they're going to drown. And it says that Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and rebukes the storm. And the same word for rebuke there. Yes, it's the same word that he's using against the demonic. Yes, so here you have it. We have, even there in that story, uh, the story of fear, we have this uh, flavor, yes, of Jesus yes, fighting uh, or opposing these, these forces. Now, why do I mention death and not simply the demonic? Because in our and well, in the story that fo follows the storm, Jesus goes to the other side, and he meets a man who's full of impure spirits, 
And this man is living, first of all, he's trying to, to, he's trying to destroy himself. He's been isolated and pushed to the side because he cannot live in human society. And, of course, he's living in a place of impurity. He's living among the tombs and he's living uh, amongst the graves. And here, I just need to take a second and, or just a minute or two, and we can't give a lot of time to this because otherwise my usual 28-point sermon will turn into a 46-point sermon. <clears throat> but what's important in all of this is that we have a few words and that we have a basic understanding, yes, of what impurity is all about. Because the Bible knows two kinds of impurity. And these two kinds of impurity are important for the gospel, and they're important for... Uh, the story, especially this woman with the issue of blood. Yeah, there's moral impurity. Moral impurity is things like immorality or idolatry or murder. And there is a, you might say, solution for moral impurity. Moral impurity was repentance, yes, and sacrifice. Um, and that covered impurity in the moral sense. The Hebrew Bible also knows another category of, of impurity. And that's the impurity we're not either we're not very comfortable with or something that we don't easily understand. Yes. The people of Israel were to reflect the character of God. They were to be godly. They were to show the world, yes, who God is Yes, what, what God is like by their behavior, the way they lived and treated each other, right? So they could exhibit his character, but also to, sh to show forth or to demonstrate or to model, yes, uh, who God, not how God acts only, but who God is and so God is a God who's first and foremost holy. Yes, holiness is the best way to describe or the, you might say, the most important adjective that we can attach to God. God is holy. And what does it mean to be holy? Well, of course, God is other and different. But holiness in the, in the Hebrew Bible also is a synonym for life. Right? Holiness and life are the same thing. And when we talk about God being a God of holiness, we talk about God being a God of life. Right? And of course, death enters the world. Death wasn't God's idea. God didn't send death as a punishment to us as human beings. Yes, death came about because of our disobedience. And Satan himself uses death to enslave us because Hebrews chapter 2 says that it's the fear of death that Satan is using to keep the human family in, in, a, in a form of prison or a form of slavery. And so the God of Israel told his people, I want to be present amongst you. I want to dwell in your midst, but I cannot have death. Yes, death, I don't get along with death. Yeah, we're not... You know, I will I will deal with sin. 
yes, and I will deal with death, but my people, you cannot, you, you cannot have the stain of death on you. You can't have death in your midst. And so consequently, yes, when the people of Israel came into contact with a form of death, which was inevitable, because in life you come, there is death. And so this isn't a sin. It's not something immoral. It's not uh, something, uh, it's not a transgression in any way. The people of Israel, yes, in order to maintain, yes, strong presence of God, had to be pure morally and had to be pure in a ritual way. Therefore, when they uh, touched a dead body, which again wasn't sinful, they needed to go to the ritual immersion bath, to the mikveh. When the people of Israel, yes, when, when uh, among the people of Israel, a woman had her monthly period, yes, there was a bodily discharge. Yes, some life-giving fluid came out of her. Something died. Yes, she had to go to the ritual immersion bath. A man who has sexual relations with his wife, something that's commended in the scripture, or, yes. Yes, also in the process something dies. He has to go to the ritual immersion bath. And when they entered the ritual immersion bath, right, they encountered living water. Living water that came from a stream or a lake or a river or something that wasn't touched by human hands and came from God himself. And when they dipped themselves in the water, yes, they dipped, it's as if God's holiness cleansed them and purified them from impurity. God's holiness overcame or overcomes death. And this is exactly what we have in these stories and this is what I think it's really what's what's really important about the stories, not about uh, the place of women in the first century, or not about uh, Jesus being uh, inclusive and having a big tent. It's really about first and foremost who Jesus is, because in Mark one, what did the demons say? What do you want from us, you holy one? Yes, right. So Jesus is. Described, Jesus is characterized by the demonic as being by, by these demons as being the one who's holy, and being the one who's holy, he has the power to confront or even overcome death. And therefore, in all of these stories that we read, yes, Jesus who carries about in himself God's holiness. And by the way, here I have some of my friends who may be out there listening. They probably stopped listening to me years ago, you know, who have uh, decided that Jesus is just a human full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's just some kind of human full of the Holy Spirit. It just seems awfully inadequate. It seems to be a very poor understanding of Jesus in light of the stories uh, in light of the stories in, in which we're in which we're reading uh, the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God <clears throat> is how Jesus is identified, yes, by his enemies. 
have you, and later they say, have you come to torment us? Which is pretty ironic, because that's what the demonic does. That's what demons do. They're the ones who torment us. And, uh, you know, they seem fearful that Jesus would be the one who torments them. And so in this, uh, in our reading, yes, we have, I, I hope, a better understanding of who Jesus is. And we have a better understanding of how he's going to confront death and really a better understanding of what it means Yes, from this story, as we'll see in just a moment, what it means to be saved, yes, and what it means to be healed. So let's look at the desperate woman for a couple of minutes. Yes, it's sandwiched in between the story of Yair, the synagogue official, who goes after Jesus and says, come and heal my um, come and heal my uh, daughter. And um, Jesus, of course, he is, he is on the way. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Yair, or Jairus, Yair is, a, is certainly a man of faith. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd pressed around him, and, the wom- and a woman was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, right? And she touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. Yeah? So let's look at this woman for a moment. She's desperate. Yes? She's desperate. And she's suffering on many levels. She's not simply suffering on the physical level. Right? She's suffering emotionally and uh, even socially as well. So if she has this issue of blood, meaning she's constantly bleeding, she's impure, right? Or she's, uh, she's impure. And impurity, like holiness, is contagious, meaning she can, by coming into contact with other people, she can make others impure, And so, therefore, the scripture says those people who are in a state of impurity need to separate themselves from the community until their impurity finishes. Because otherwise, if there's a lot of impurity in Israel, then God's presence is diminished. Yes, God's God's presence becomes weaker and weaker. And so, those who are impure need to isolate themselves. Secondly... Surely she was uh, economically challenged or stressed or perhaps even bankrupt, paying for doctors year after year. And doctors in the ancient world, uh, not surprisingly, didn't have a good reputation because more often than not, they didn't have any cures for people. 
And then there's the issue of shame. Yes, there's the issue of shame. And, and if she is a younger woman, she's barren. And who knows what her marital status might be or might not be. And finally, she's isolated. She's socially isolated. And she, in her desperation, she fights her way through the crowd. Perhaps it was, this was her last resort. She fights her way through the crowd. And she understands, yes, that Jesus himself is holy. And that like the altar or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, if you came into contact with the tabernacle or you came into contact with the altar, that holiness would be transferred to you. Impurity is contagious, but so too is holiness. And it's, Jesus says he feels power goes out of him. And in Matthew's gospel, the woman doesn't just touch the cloak. It tells us in Greek that the woman touches its tzitzit, Yes, the tassels that uh, every Jewish male was, is, I was going to say, was commanded to wear. And these tassels are, um, are signs that one, that one looks at, right, in order to remember to obey the commandments and to be holy. And so the tassel itself has an association with holiness. And remember that holiness is life. That holiness is life. And Jesus, yes, brings life to this woman. The life he brings to this woman is, it comes in a package. It's not that she's only physically well. There's a healing of her shame. She can be restored to her community. She um, can stop spending money on doctors. Yes, she can maybe... It's not too late. She can have a family or she can marry. You know, lots of, it's interesting, isn't it? Lots of people are bumping up against Jesus. But she has enough nerve. Yes, she has enough um, presence of mind. Yes, and she's desperate enough. By the way, it's, Usually when we're desperate that we get things from the Lord. I think Bob Shelley taught me that. She's desperate enough, yes, that she reaches out, yes, and on purpose touches, you know, touches his cloak. Or in the old King James, the hem of his garment. Yeah. And, and what comes to her is Healing. Healing. And Jesus says, it, your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. The, word is our, the words are interchangeable. What it means to be saved in the Gospels is not simply that we're going to heaven when we die. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful promise and something that we can all look forward to. Yes, but salvation is seen as something that's, more, that's bigger and even more expansive. Salvation here is restoration. Salvation here is blessing. Now the woman, the faith that the woman exhibits, 
is a whole nother subject. But she, like Jesus, yes, she, uh, who has to be faithful, yes, in all kinds of opposition and rejection, she too is faithful, yes. Jesus, it's her faith, and the kind of faith that she had was a, a faith that was persistent, a faith that uh, didn't simply believe something, but a faith that uh, was not going to sit passively, a faith that was going to fight, yes, something that came out of that desperation of hers. And you might say, again, it was a bit of a chutzpah. And when I, I really think what's important is what Jesus says to her. He's, she's, he, in an affectionate way, he says, daughter, um, and what says she fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and she told him the whole truth. Yes, she told him the whole truth. And so it wasn't hiding anything. Yes, and she opened herself. And he, his response is, daughter, your faith has healed you, right? Your faith has healed you, this loyalty, this persistence. Yes, your refusal to give up, even though it was mixed with fear and uncertainty. It wasn't passive. Your faith has healed you. And then he says, go in peace. Yes, go in peace. Now, to us, that seems like a cliche, but it's not a cliche. Jesus is telling this woman, because you've, you've encountered me, the Holy One of God, you have encountered life. Yes, you've encountered life, just like those disciples in the boat. Yes, they encounter shalom. They encounter their fear is taken away. Or the man who's cutting himself and who's isolating himself and destroying himself, the demonic on the other side. Yes, Jesus brings healing to this. Uh, he brings shalom to this man. Or the woman, that, yes, too bad we don't know her name. Yes, who spent 12 years, yes, looking for a cure. Jesus says, peace be with you, right? That part of what it means to be healed, right, is to come to a place, yes, where we have well-being, a place where we have peace, a place where we can put our trust in the Lord no matter what happens to us. Yes, a place where our, you might say, our anxieties are, um, I can't say removed, but uh, our anxieties are tamed. Yes, this is all what it means, you know, to be at peace, to have a completeness, to have a wholeness. And of course, this is probably the most important aspect or the most important part of healing. Now, all of this, yes, Jesus, the Holy One of God, the one who brings life, yes, the one who saves people uh, 
person and you know in the, from their personal individual problems but all of these personal problems have you know they have social um there's a, a social context to them all of this is very you might say it's very wonderful isn't jesus great but see in the next chapter jesus says to his disciples pretty much i want you to do the same thing yes he gives the commission and the commission is different than in Matthew and Luke. He sends out the 12. He says, um, take nothing for the journey, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to be dependent upon me. Um, and they went out, and it says, and they preached that um, people should repent. No, I need to go early. I need to go back. It says, he, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil spirits. He gave them authority over evil spirits. Yes. He sends them into, sends us into the fight. And the fight is a fight of life against death. It's one of healing and salvation. But healing and salvation as Jesus understands it. Yes. Coming to a place, again, of wholeness or completeness. Or this place of peace. Or bringing people who are isolated or who are destructive. Yes, bringing them from the edge of a community and putting them into the community. In every case, yes, whether the person is a leper or the person is demon-possessed, Jesus is always restoring people to the community. He doesn't leave them the way they are. He doesn't leave them in a state of impurity or demon possession or um, unrepentance and say, you're fine, just come and join our community. He is inclusive. He is embracing. Yes, but he calls all of us you know, to join a community of life. And life is holiness. Yes. And what it means to follow Jesus is to follow in a way of life or to follow in a way of holiness. And where, whenever we see it, yes, in every place and on every, at every different level of society, yeah, you know, we are to confront death and evil, yes, with the authority that he's given us. Yes, that the spirit of life, the spirit of Jesus lives in us. So I'm reminded of the words of Moses, yes, to the people of Israel. Choose life, he says, and indeed that's what we should do. So Father, we pray that you will <clears throat> help us to have a, a bigger a vision of who Jesus is. Not just some magician or miracle worker or someone who is uh, on call to be an Aaron uh, boy for us. Not simply someone to bless us, but someone who truly wants to bring life, who wants to uh, bring us healing and salvation. 
not from this world or not from creation, but for this world and for all those, yes, who are enslaved by the devil or enslaved by their fears or full of shame or suffering from physical ailments or even enslavement by Satan himself. Lord, we pray that uh, our mandate and calling will be clear in all of these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.